This is Maya Tiwari with an episode of Women's Power to Heal Mother Earth. In this episode, we will explore the food crisis around the world with certain examples that show that it is not that we have no solution or no solution that works, but that we have the wrong masters at the helm of our food revolutions and movements around the world. First off, we should have no need to have a food revolution or a movement for that matter. Let me go deeper into this explanation. We provide a small fortune to nations and the developing world where food shortages, hunger, poverty exists. But we know that if money were to solve the problems of poverty and food and hunger in the first place, we would not continue decade after decade to yield no results whatsoever other than a worsened state of food shortage crisis in our developing world. Food movements like the Green Revolution and the New Green Revolutions are political strategies designed to exert and maintain control over the global food systems, which are monopolized by corporations and institutions in the Western countries. This political overseer is tactically avoided by mainstream news, the World Bank, and other promoters of the Green Revolution failed systems. In order to implement a policy for food, governments are blinded to the actual needs and demands of their people. The World Bank, for instance, wouldn't give loans without structural adjustments that cut sorely into social programs. More than a decade ago, the New York Times had an article called The World Food Crisis and warns that 25 to 50% in the price of food and basic grains have sparked unrest from Haiti to Egypt. The Times did lay the blame on the doorsteps of the northern countries, such as Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, for their thirst for ethanol, pointing out that the substitution of fuel crops for food crops account for at least half of the rise in the world's corn demand in each of the past few years. The confusing economic demand with actual availability lead 
the Times, as many mainstream news, to jump to a rather erroneous solution. Often quoting the World Bank, they say that the Green Revolution is there to increase farm productivity and raise crops, the yields of crops, for instance, in Africa. This is, of course, a likely response. Along with the International Monetary Fund, they forcibly apply the Structural Adjustment Program some years back called SAP, which is responsible for destroying the capacity of the African nations to protect their own domestic agricultural systems or to even develop it and from dumping subsidized grain imported from U.S. and Europe. This report was written about in foodfirst.org by two very well-informed journalists, Eric Holtz Jimenez and Raj Patel. And I'm quoting, uh, taking the liberty of quoting from their article, which was published more than a decade ago. To understand the world food crisis, we do need to look at the politics of food that has been the bedrock of our issues with providing enough food for enough people. The issue is that we can't provide the food. We must make each country self-sustaining. The Green Revolution and the New Green Revolution and the amount of GMOs and modified foods and modified seeds and seed control have nothing to do with the outcome of self-sustainability of each nation to thrive with their own farming and their own yields. Over the same 35-plus years, the SAP, SAP system has invested 40% of its 350 million a year budget in Africa's Green Revolution. And what have we reaped from this massive investment? Well, According to these two journalists, a big fat zero. Africa's agricultural ministries, national research programs, and basic infrastructure fell under the mighty SAP. African agricultural system has been steadily eroding to almost zero, where we have no real agricultural system that is endemic to Africa's land, natural to its own system, is now non-existent. The entire food systems are vulnerable to economic and environmental shock, hence the severity of the current food price inflation crisis, which goes hand in hand with food insecurity and a lack of 
food for Africa. The Green Revolution is not just one institution, and it is not static. The new genetically engineer, not so new anymore, Green Revolution is a conglomeration of public and private research institutions supported by tax dollars and conditioned investments from a handful of powerful seed, chemical and fertilizer monopolies, genetically modified organisms, GMO. So the new Green Revolution is an industrialized modernization paradigm, much like the old campaign. The politics of food are inescapable, and they are not the solution. They have not been the solution in the last 50 years of their tragic performance to the bane of developing countries and their people and the lands there. We have many food movements. We have the organic food movement as well. The big question for organic foods is not the efficacy of the organic food and planting and harvesting and the use of land resources because it is an excellent example of where we need to go. But the problem is the business of organic foods. Is it available to feed the poor? Absolutely not. Organic farming methods are without question better for the environment, the soil, the people, nature, the ecosystem, our forest, animals, and our health. But the business of organic foods raise as many political and economical and spiritual questions as did the unsuccessful food revolutions that came before it. The prices of producing organic food is far more expensive than conventional farming when grown for the mass consumption. As organic food carves out a greater share of the market and international markets expand, the carbon footprint of organic food distribution may exceed that of conventional food distribution. The economic model for growing and farming and harvesting and distributing organic foods is designed to be completely inaccessible to the poor. Exporting a ton of food, organic or conventional or genetically modified or otherwise, to poor developing nations is not an answer to our problem there. Food and money run out leaving communities more unempowered and helpless than they were before the handouts. Give a man bread and he eats it for a day. Give him the tools to harvest and bake his own bread and he is fed for a lifetime. More or less uh, an understanding of an ancient quote. Let us examine the humongous amount of capital spent on wars, for instance. Wars that are supposed to preserve the pseudo-sense of world security. The latest Global Peace Index report, released just a while back, finds that 2015 was an expensive year for international peace and security. You don't say. The report finds that the economic impact 
of violence to the global economy was more than $13 trillion in terms of purchasing power parity. It is much higher for 2020. America singularly has spent $7 trillion on wars in the Middle East and Asia since 2001, 9-11. This capital was used to educate, inform, feed, nourish the entire developmental. This capital could have been used to educate, inform, and feed, nourish the entire developmental world wherein we can then begin to eliminate global poverty and provide abundant food and self-confidence to our less fortunate populations. But are we using our financial wealth in this way? No. Look, there are millions of well-situated nonprofits and nature lovers and teachers who are willing to contribute their time and resources with the appropriate organic education for communities that are suffering, to teach them how to bond with Mother Earth, how to use nature's resources of land, air, water, sky for the preservation of life and to yield results that are benign and beneficent for poverty-driven communities. There are organizations and nonprofits that have developed awesome tools to help poor countries in self-sustainability, in farming, in farming the land, in clearing drought lands and making them fertile again. If the World Bank and the various governmental organizations and the global polluters and business the businesses of food folks can simply step off the path and get out of the way. We can find a solution to global poverty and global food shortage. Organizations can bring heirloom, heritage, organic seeds to the right area, seasonal climates and lands and position it into natural farming methods for family and community cooperating together that can provide proper levels of nutrients for the malnutrition issues, feed and nourish our population there through demonstrating farming methods that give higher yield using organic practices and tools and items that are commonly found in their region, giving the poorer farmers livestock so they can accumulate some wealth. We can go to developing nations and teach people how to solve their own hunger issues through self-sustaining organic natural farming education. We have thousands of living examples around the world if we do choose to embrace a noble reality for all of life, which is not the reality that the corporations and World Bank and such like that are
controlling the world food, their aim is very different from the noble reality of sustaining life. Let us take Africa for instance. Almost every famine in the past 50 years has been in Africa. Hunger, poverty, food insecurity have been the bane of African life for some time. The World Food Programme in 2018 espouses, and I quote, In general, the principal causes of hunger include poverty, conflict, climate and weather, lack of investment in agriculture and unstable markets. Poverty is the principal cause of hunger in Africa and elsewhere. What they do not cite is the veiled reality of the disastrous experiments of the green and new green revolutions, such as that have devastated the African earth and its people's ability to move forward in any self-sustaining way. More than 45 million people struggled to find food across 14 countries in 2019. Many suffered the compounded effects of years of drought. Failed rains across Eastern Africa, Southern Africa and the Horn of Africa are seeing another dire season for farmers, increasing food prices and driving up aid needs of tens of millions of already vulnerable people across three regions. In 2017, a year in which the United Nations labeled the crisis the worst in decades, some 38 million people were in need. Yet we know that the industry of humane sciences and lifestyle practices have a wealth of solutions waiting to be applied. We simply must find a way to open the gateway to applying them and getting the demons of food control out of the way. Just recently, a team of scientists studying drought helped build the world leading famine prediction model called the Humanitarian Earth System Science Project. Climate Hazards Centers, CHC for short, of the University of California and UCSB in Santa Barbara, these researchers took notice. These climate models fed by the shifting ocean data pointed to troubling conclusion and their research and application have been an absolute key to improving the speed and accuracy of drought prediction so appropriate measures can be taken to either prevent or remedy. We do have the sciences, we do have the scientific minds, we do have the wealth of intelligence and knowledge available to us to once and for all remedy a problem that is ongoing just from the avarice and greed and notorious, notorious behavior and lack of spiritual behavior of the great many organizations controlling the world food source at this time.
we need to retire them. Just a small example of how permaculture alone can make arid land into a fertile Eden. An example in Portugal, from Portugal, where Tamira's ecology expert transformed an area of risk of decertification and say that they can do the same anywhere in the world. The land there is called Timera, the name given to 330 acres in southern Portugal by a community of only 30 people who moved there from Germany in 1995. Twenty years ago, this land was arid and barren. Farming was near impossible. Today, 200 people thrive there from all over the world, live there as well. Through simple practices of digging swales, creating water retention spaces, and using the permaculture lessons of farming, Tamara's ecology expert have transformed an area on the brink of decertification and say they can do that anywhere in the world. The community wanted to be more self-sustainable and grow more of their own food rather than importing it. And it was clear that water would be central to being able to live autonomously on the land. So... When I came to Tamara in 2006, trees were dying, wells were drying out, says Bernard Mueller, director of Tamara's Global Ecology Institute and one of the engineers behind this transformation. At the time in the summer months, Tamara looked like a desert and hardly any, with hardly any vegetation. In the winter months, however, there was heavy rainfall and flooding Mueller and his co-engineers set out then to use the running water off the soil and causing the erosion to the infrastructure rather than soaking it into the earth. The lakes were dug out and formed without any concrete seal at the bottom so water can seep into the earth. Wonderful principle of permaculture. It's called the triple S, slow, spread and sink. When you have flowing rainwater, something in your ecosystem is wrong, says Mueller. You have to slow it down, spread it over the land, and let it sink. Transformation of the landscape began in 2007, and by February of 2008, which is about six months later, a new spring had appeared at the edge of the property of Tamara. We suddenly had a creek going through the valley that brought more lush vegetation and animals. Wildlife responded immediately to the constant access to water. These are small examples, but they're critical and core examples to what millions such measures can do to eliminate once and for all poverty across the developing world and to set, more importantly, a new model for going forward into our 
future if we want it to be a noble future. We must clear out the corrupted system that is now defunct and has proven over and over again that it leeches off the dignity of life and do what is necessary to protect humanity. Thank you for listening and peace be your journey.